How's it going? Good morning. Are you well? You good? I'm not. I've got a cold. I know. If I um, have to break in the sermon for a coughing fit, I just apologise now. I'm not, I'm not possessed. It's not a demon working its way out. It's just phlegm. <laughs> This is the splash zone down the. <laughs> Gross. Right. Anyway, let's talk about Jesus. Um, so this is the this is the last sermon in our, our current teaching series on breakthrough. It's the last one. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if that's um, if you're sad about it or it's a, there's a, a sigh of relief. I'm I'm not sure. Um, personally, I found I found the series quite challenging, both in terms of. Um, the bits that I've contributed, the bits that I've prepared myself, um, and, and the teaching that I've received throughout. Normally when we, uh, when we preach in this church, we, we gather around a book of the Bible, or we, we pick a topic like grace or prayer, and, and Steve and I kind of decide ahead of time what the sort of things we're going to teach into in that series. But this time we really only had this, uh, this one word here, break, breakthrough. It was a word that that, that God put on Steve's heart particularly, Um, and then we both began to kind of pray into it and ask, well, what is this going to look like for our church? And so it's sort of, um, it's evolved organically as we've gone along this series, but I really feel like um, God has done some amazing work through this series, and he's done some fantastic things um, in our hearts as we've gone along. Do you agree? Cool. Three people. God's really worked with three people. Um, back when we started the series uh, on the 5th of July, if you can remember that far back, those heady summer days, back when it was warm, it's all gone now, um, I preached a sermon uh, entitled Brokenness. Brokenness. Um, and in fact, we looked at brokenness for the first couple of weeks of the series, and we were exploring what it, it feels like to be in that place of um, desperation, really, that place of, place of hurt where it kind of feels like the whole world is crumbling down around you. And, and we began to ask the question, well, what does breakthrough look like when you're in that place of brokenness? And we've explored um, various ways in which we can experience spiritual breakthrough throughout the series. And this morning, as we kind of draw the series to a close, um, I, I don't want us to focus on, on brokenness, but instead I want us to focus on wholeness. Wholeness. What do I mean when I say um, wholeness? Well, wholeness is about being complete. It's about being whole. It's about being perfectly in harmony with ourselves, in harmony with each other, uh, and ultimately in harmony with God. And as God meets us in our brokenness, and as God begins to kind of put us back together, as we experience breakthrough, little by little, we become whole again. Does anybody remember Tazos? Thank you. Brilliant. We've got one per... This, this analogy is just for you. <laughs> Tazos, they were like this, these little bits of um, round plastic that you found inside packets of Walker's crisps. Um, and they had a little picture on the front and, and kind of little slits in the side. And you could kind of um, join them together. Um, and they were really cool. I mean, I thought they were cool. Um, really bad for the environment, but um, really cool. But in, in 1997, um, Walker's did something truly truly amazing. They released 50 limited edition 
Star Wars themed Tazos. Not only that, but it, they came with a special binder called the Collector's Force Pack. Um, and you had all these little holes and you could stick them in as you collected them and went along. It was the single greatest moment of my childhood um, <laughs> after coming to faith, obviously. Um, and, and here it is. Here is my Collector's Force Pack. Right? Now, obviously, I went to work straight away eating as many bags of crisps as I possibly could to try and complete my, my collector's force pack. And um, it, was, it was trickier than it sounds, though, because they were sneaky. Numbers 40 to 50 were only available in Doritos. And Doritos were not sold in multi-packs at the time, or at least not when my parents shopped. And so that meant that I had to save up my pocket money every single week, and I had to, to walk to the co-op near where I lived to buy a single bag of Doritos and hope against hope it contained the, the final Tazo that I needed to complete my collection. You know, um, you know that scene in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where he, he buys the chocolate bar and slowly unopens it, hoping for a golden ticket. It was like that, but me with a bag of crisps, um, tearing in. And, you know, after a lot of work, after a few months of hard collecting and swapping with my one friend, um, I, eventually, I eventually got 48 of the 50 that I needed. 48. Was it enough? Of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. I was, I was devastated. I was 13 at the time. I'm 35 now. I can still remember what the two missing Tazos looked like. How sad is that I was in this, um, I sort of spiralled out of control, you know, I was um, just begging for one more bag of crisps, I kind of went into a depression, I mean, it might have been due to my mainly crisp-based diet, um, <laughs> I suppose. My fingers turned orange from all the Doritos that I had to eat, and um, <laughs> I was a mess, it was a, it was a dark time in my life, <laughs> it was really dark, until one morning... One beautiful, magical, fantastic morning, a letter arrived in the post. A wonderful letter, and it contained the two missing Tazos that I needed. It was a miracle. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really. What happened is my uncle had found them, sent them to me, I guess at the request of my parents who were fearing for my sanity. Um, but finally, my collection was complete, and I could, I could rest and um, you know, as I was thinking about it this week, I, I decided to check on eBay to see what this is worth after 22 years to have a complete Tazo collection. This is now worth a grand total of £6. <laughs> Woo! So worth it. I'm in the money now. <clears throat> if anyone wants to look later, I've brought some special gloves. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Why am I telling you this stupid story? It is a stupid story. Um, it's because, really, until my collection was complete, I couldn't rest. I would have never have felt um, satisfied in myself. I needed it to be whole. I needed it to be finished. And I think life can be a little bit like that, too. I think sometimes we can have um, gaps. We can have areas where kind of there's something missing in our lives, something that needs to be found. It's like there's a, there's a work that needs to be completed in us. And so this is kind of what I want to explore for a few minutes this morning. Is there something that's missing in our lives this morning? And I want to do that by looking at Jesus' work on the cross. I want us to really focus in on Jesus' work on the cross today. 
So in John 19, we read these words. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, and they soaked it in a sponge and put it on a, uh, the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And you see, much like my Tazo collection, the work of the cross is complete. It's finished. Jesus said so himself. And so if we're looking for wholeness, if we're looking for completeness this morning, I think the best place um, for us to look is the cross. And now it's easy for us to think that, that we kind of know what the cross is all about. That's, that's Christianity 101, right? That's the, that's the basic stuff. That's the stuff you learn at the beginning and you move on. And, and, the, and the danger is if we're not careful, we can end up leaving the cross behind. We start to view it just as the beginning of our, our journey. There's something that we move away from. You know, we've accepted that Jesus died for us. We know what the cross is about. He's taken my sin. We've no more need for it. And it becomes this kind of landmark on our journey that as we mature as believers, we leave behind. And we can begin to see our, our, our lives as this linear progression from one thing to the next. We, we come to faith, we find a church, we get baptized, we become a bit more like Jesus day after day, and then, and then we die and then we go to heaven. But life's not really like that, is it? I mean, it's, it's messier, like it's, it's way messier. Sometimes it can feel like we're doing really, really well on the journey, like we're progressing, but other days it can feel like we're regressing, you know, that we're taking steps backwards. And I'm just beginning to wonder if it's not more helpful for us to not view our lives as a straight line, but maybe as a circle. To view our lives as a circle with God at the center. And so for the challenge for us is to remain in the middle, how do we remain in the middle and not drop off the edge? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. And follow me. And so there's this need that Jesus recognizes in us for us to remain, to hold to his teaching, to daily to take up our cross. Paul picks up on the idea later in Colossians chapter 2. He says, so then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And the Apostle John writes in his letter, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears you'll be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The King James Version says, Abide in him. Abide in him. And so there's this sense scripturally where we need to, we need to learn how to live with God at the center of our lives. We need to learn how to remain in the middle. And I think the cross is key to it all for us. Why is that? Well, there's three reasons that I want to just share with you this morning. Three reasons. The firstly is that I think the cross tells us who we are. I think the cross tells us who we are. The cross tells us that we are valued members of God's family. 
John says this, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And you know, we all live our own stories, don't we? We've all kind of grown up in different environments. Some of those environments were, were, were loving and, and kind and stable, and, and others were not. Some of us have come from um, abusive backgrounds. Some of us have come from dysfunctional homes and families. But whatever our background might be, that's the, the narrative we've lived that informs who we've become and who it is that we are becoming. If all you've known is violence and, and shame, chances are that those things are going to continue to be a feature of your life as you move forward. And the things that are said to you and the things that are said about you shape who you become. And you know, there's a really good chance that some of the things that have been said to you are not true. In fact, I would go as far as to say there's more than a good chance. Some of the things that you have been told in your life over the years are a lie. Now maybe you've been told that you're, you're worthless. Maybe you've been told that you are unlovable or that you are unwanted. Maybe you've been told that you're just not good enough. That you're a failure, perhaps. Maybe you've been told that you're nobody special. These things are a lie. You know, the prevailing story in society at the moment is that you are a cosmic accident. The result of a random collision of atoms, hardly the most compelling story, is it? But the cross tells us a different story. The cross tells us a different story. The cross tells us that we have value. The cross tells us that we are loved beyond measure. It tells us that we are wanted by the creator of the universe, so much so that he sacrificed himself in order that you might know of the love that he has for you. The cross reminds us that our value is not based upon what we do or who we become, but on his love for us. Your value is not based upon what you achieve or how hard you work or how busy you are. It's based upon his perfect love. And I really, I just want you to catch that this morning. I really want you to be free from that this morning because I think some of us are are striving for wholeness in achievement when God wants to give it to us for free. I think some of us are striving for wholeness in achievement when God wants to give it to us for free. Paul reminds us, doesn't he, that it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It's while we were still sinners, while we were still far away from God, while we wanted nothing at all to do with him, it's in that moment that he died for us. And one of the things we do with with our linear perspective is we say, thank you that you died for me, and and, and I know I was bad, but it's all right because I'm going to be good now. And then when we're not, we end up putting our faith to one side. But if we remain in the middle and we keep the cross at the center of our lives, we're reminded daily that God's love for us is not based on our goodness or our ability or our endeavor, but on his. It's so important that we catch that this morning. God's love for you is not based upon your abilities, your goodness, or even your character. It's based upon his. But guess what? He loves you. Why? Because he does. He loves you. You ever play that game um, with your partner where they go, oh, I love you. And you go, oh, yeah, why? And they go, oh, uh, I just do. <laughs> he just does. You know, one of the stories I, I love is, is Jesus' baptism. 
if you remember it, but it's, it's right at the start of his ministry. It's before he's got going. There's been, there's been no healings. There's been no walking on water. There's been no feeding of the 5,000. There's been no driving out demons, no turning water to wine, no calming of storms, none of it. He's done nothing. He's just like ran away from his parents he's, when he was 12. And he arrives with John and, and he, he's baptized. And it says the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my son. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. I am well pleased. God's love for Jesus is there at the beginning before he's even set about the work that God gave him to do. I think that we need to be reminded daily that the story that informs our life is not the story that we have lived, but the story that Jesus has shown to us on the cross. The cross reminds us who we are. We are his sons and daughters who he loves. Secondly, this morning, I think the cross shows us who God is. Shows us who God is. Not just that he is someone who loves his creation, but he is somebody who finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. Paul writes to the Philippians, I am confident of this. I'm confident of it, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God wouldn't have stopped at 48 Tazos either. <laughs> He'd have eaten all the Doritos for me. There's an analogy I bet you thought you'd never hear. <laughs> you know, God's rescue plan for us began the very moment that we turned away from him. He put things in motion to save us. Jesus was always coming to rescue us. You can see it throughout the New Testament. The Old Testament, sorry, he's there. Some say as early as Genesis, we can find references to Jesus, the first book of the Bible. But maybe one of the, the most famous verses is found in Isaiah. Steve read from Isaiah at the start of the service this morning. But in chapter verse 9, it says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And that word peace is mentioned um, twice there in that passage. And in Hebrew, it's the word shalom. You've probably heard that word before, maybe as a greeting used between Jewish people. But the most basic translation of the word shalom is complete, whole. To achieve shalom is to achieve wholeness. That's what we're talking about today. It's about fixing something that's been broken. It's about restoring something to the way that it was always supposed to be. And so as in the New Testament, when, when Jesus arrives, we hear of angels singing about peace coming to earth. Peace in the, the Greek of the New Testament is the word erene. Which literally means to, to join together or to bind something together that has been separated. And so God's plan has always been that Jesus would fix what it is that's been broken. That he would restore us. That he would make us whole again. It just took a bit of time. Sometimes it does. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. At the cross, Jesus fixes us. At the cross, Jesus makes us whole. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Or the message translation puts it this way, it says, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, 
so that we could be put right with God. And in doing that, not only does he restore our relationship with himself, not only does he restore our relationship with God, but he restores our relationships with each other as well. Because the longer we remain at the cross, the more we learn to stay in the middle, the more we realize that in God's eyes we're all equal. No one is above anybody else. No one has special privileges in the kingdom of God. Christ died for us all. For you. And you. And you. Paul uses this argument when he's trying to sort out a conflict in the Ephesian church. He says this, For he himself is our peace. Irene. Wholeness, togetherness. Who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, wholeness, togetherness, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And so as we learn to remain in the middle, to to keep the cross at the very center of our lives, we begin to gain a clearer understanding of who it is that God is. He's a God that desires that broken things get fixed. The relationships are restored and that we are made whole again. I don't know what brokenness there is in your lives today between you and God. I don't know what's there. Perhaps there's been a breakdown of communication somewhere. Maybe, um, maybe you're beefing right now. Maybe you're at odds with, with each other. It can happen. Perhaps you've just kind of wandered away slowly over time. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you today to come back to the cross. Because God wants to continue the work he started in your life. He's not a quitter. He hasn't quit on you. He's a finisher. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. A light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. I'm going to get the band up for a musical interlude, but I better carry on because time's going. So the cross shows us who we are. It shows us who God is. And thirdly, this morning, I think the cross shows us how to live. I think the cross shows us how to live. Jesus is our example, always. The cross is the pinnacle of his work, the ultimate example of sacrificial love. To the Philippians, Paul says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, who being in very nature God, did not consider it a quality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Him being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived his life in such obedience to God, even unto death. But Paul doesn't finish there. He carries on. He says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You know, Jesus' act of surrender caused the greatest victory in all of human history. His act of surrender caused the greatest victory in all of human history. By giving up his rights and his divinity, he defeated death. He gave us a way back to God. And so God exalts him and he puts all things under his feet. It's one of the great paradoxes, I think, of the Christian faith that we become whole, not in striving or pushing or clamoring with our own strength and wisdom, but in surrender. In giving more of ourselves to him, in releasing more of our will, in releasing more of our time, more of our energy to his purposes and goodness in our life. 
We achieve wholeness not by holding on, but by letting go. You might even say that wholeness comes about when we become wholly his. And you know, the thing is that, that Jesus has shown, God has shown us that Jesus sacrifices, um, <laughs> sorry, God has shown us in Jesus' sacrifice that the result of a life lived for him. Not a life that's free from, from pain, not a life that's free from, from suffering or even free from hardship, but a life that has consequences in eternity. A life that's full of purpose, a life that's full of meaning. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross brought about the restoration of all things. What might our lives bring about when we're prepared to sacrifice unto his purposes? You know, there's times in my life where I've needed to say, Lord, not my will, but, but yours. Where I've needed to lay down something that, that I was wanting, something I was desiring, but um, I knew what God was calling me to. And that's always a hard decision. I, I think that's why Paul calls it a sacrifice. Romans 12, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But I've never regretted it. You know, Jesus said, if we seek his kingdom first, everything else we need is given to us anyway. Don't worry about it. So don't fret about life. But look to the purposes of God first. And if the focus of your life is simply what you can get for yourself, if the purpose of your life is simply to achieve greatness on your own terms, then you're going to be left wanting. Because it's only in God and it's only in serving his purposes that we're truly satisfied. Our own ambitions simply are never going to be enough. We're made for more. We're made for more. If we want to become whole, we need to look at those areas in our lives where we are holding on and begin to, to let go. To begin to sacrifice it to his purposes. And so, coming into land this morning, where does this leave us? How do we apply this to ourselves? I think there's some questions maybe we need to ask ourselves. Um, firstly, whose story are we living under? Whose story are we living under? Are there some lies about yourself that you have come to believe? Do you know how precious you are? Do you know how loved you are this morning? I mean, really know. Because if you don't, that's where we, we need to start. You need to start seeing yourself as God sees you. You know, God thinks that you are worth dying for. He thinks you're worth dying for. And by the way, he knows everything you've done and are going to do, including that really naughty thing you did last week. And he still loves you. He still loves you. Christian author and thinker Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, we must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. Rather, out of the eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and each human being upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God towards all his creatures is the natural overflow of what he is to the core, which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. <laughs> you know, for some of us, I think it's that we, we kind of know that God loves us, but we've got into this place where we, we think that we need to earn it. We think that we need to, to work for it. It's that thing I was talking about earlier where I was suggesting that we sometimes walk away from the cross. 
you know, back to the law that says we need to behave in a certain way in order to remain in his love. But the only place that we need to remain as Christians is at the cross. Because the cross is Jesus' final word on love. I love you. Look. Look how much I love you. And when we've soaked in it, and when we've dealt with those lies that have been told over our lives, we can start to live from a different place. A place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where our Heavenly Father tells us that we are His children who He loves and with whom He's well pleased. Well pleased. Secondly, I think we need to ask ourselves, do we have the right view of God this morning? We spoke about this earlier in the series, but you know, sometimes things happen in our life that can cause us to stop trusting Him. They can cause us to turn our back on Him. And when we do that, it's amazing how quickly we forget who He is. It's amazing how quickly we forget who he is. Begin to, we begin to misunderstand his intentions for our life. You know, God's intention for you is the same that it has always been. That you would find peace. Arene. You would find peace in his presence. That you would be made whole again. And that he would complete the work of restoration that he's doing in your life. Remember, God is not a quitter. He hasn't given up on you. And so if you're in a position this morning where you've forgotten who God is, I'd encourage you to come back to the cross. Christian author and thinker Rob Bell says this, Our tendency in the midst of suffering is to turn on God, to get angry and bitter and shake our fist at the sky and say, God, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand. You've no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much this hurts. But the cross is God's way of taking all of our accusations, all of our excuses and arguments. The cross is God taking on flesh and blood and saying, Me too. Me too. And finally, this morning, I think we need to ask ourselves, are there any areas in our life that we've been holding on to that we need to give over to God? Remember Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's in sacrifice that we truly become who it is that we are meant to be. And the cross shows us that a life sacrificed for God's purposes has the ability to change the world. We need to make sure that our ambitions are not too small this morning. There's an old hymn that we, um, we sometimes sing in this church by Isaac Watts called When I Survey. And the last verse goes like this. It says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I wonder if the band will... Um, Come and join me on stage, for real this time. As I finish this talk this morning and, and, and this series this morning, I just want to encourage you that if you're seeking breakthrough in your life, the thing that you need to do is keep the cross at the center. Be really careful not to move away from it ever. Keep it right there. Learn what it means to live in the truth of it. See yourself in the light of it to recognize who God is through it and the life that he has called you to. I just want to finish with a quote from theologian John Piper. This is what he says about the cross. He says, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Would you stand with me?
Let's pray. Jesus. Father, thank you that you're here. Father, I want to thank you for your cross today. Father, I want to thank you for the truth that it brings into my life. Father, I want to thank you for showing me how much I am loved by you. Father, if there are people here this morning that have been living stories that are lies, Father, if there are people here this morning that have have found themselves in a place where they've come to know things about themselves that are simply not true, God, I want to pray that you would break that power this morning. Father, that you would begin to just now free them from that. Father, there's that feeling of, of worthlessness where there's that feeling of, of failure, where there's the feeling that, that, that they would not be good enough, Father, where there's that feeling that they are nothing special. Father, I pray you would break that. And God, by the power of your Spirit, you would just begin to whisper to them how much you love them, that you are their precious children, that they are beloved by you, And Father, for those of us here this morning where we've just got into that place where we're trying to earn it, we're trying to strive for it, where we're trying to make ourselves good enough for your love and we're failing and because we're failing, we feel like failures. I pray you would break that lie as well. And Father, that you would remind us that it is while we're still sinners that you died for us. That you know what we're like. You know that we can't do this on our own. That's why you sent your son to die for us. And Father, you would just begin to gently restore us in this place. God, that you would just remind us of that great love that you have for us. Father, that we would live from a place not of of, of trying to earn it, Father, of trying to prove ourselves, but a place of security, a place of knowing deep down that we are your children. And Father, for those of us here this morning that, that maybe have just got the wrong sense of you recently, Father, those of us that have maybe just misunderstood your motives of late, Father, I pray you would remind us of that promise that you make, that you will fix the broken things, that you will restore us, that you will finish the work that you started in our life. Help us just to find a way back to you today, just to live in the power of the cross in this place. Thank you, Lord.